Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta. And I'm Rechna Frukbaum. And this is Hall of Shame. Hi, Rach. Hey, girl. What's going on? How are you, Rachna? You know, I'm all right. I feel like we're all always a little bit in a state of getting our bearings. Yeah. I feel like every time I ask somebody that question, their voice goes into that same octave that yours just did. Um, okay. Um, well, today, Rachna, before I get into the story today... I want to get real with you. Okay? I love we get, it. We get personal on this podcast. We do. We're not afraid. We've definitely, I think, safe to say, talked about our mental health. For sure. And how we both see therapists. But I think today is a good day to dive into that a little further because today's okay. story has a lot to do with mental illness and mental health. And we're all feeling some things right now sure. as we were just talking about. So let's just dive into it. And I want to have a, a little bit of a discussion beforehand before we get into the story today because... Frankly, I feel like these these discussions, they just don't happen enough. Especially not in sports. Especially not in the sports world. Good Lord. When I was younger, I had what I would describe as a very bad case of obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and OCD, to my knowledge, doesn't ever go away completely. But when I was younger, it was pretty debilitating some days. And I scared myself. I scared my my parents. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. I thought I was sick. I thought that there was something wrong with me. Right. Um, my parents are probably wondering, why is my eight-year-old daughter wearing gloves and wiping her fingerprints off of things at the grocery store in the middle of July? Some things just don't make sense, and they are scary, and you have to deal with them, and it's just a lot going on. Um, so what they didn't know and what I didn't know was that I had OCD and I was terrified of just about everything happening and I was doing everything in my power to make these imaginary things not happen. Ugh. Yeah. It's and the, a lot. the things, the things that I was feeling, they felt so real and so scary and not knowing what it was made it so much worse. Totally. Not being able to name it. Not being able to name it. Even if it's just like anxiety or a panic attack, mm -hmm. like I've never had a panic attack, but a lot of people have described them as being like, you feel like you are going to die. Yes. Mental illness can be very scary. Yeah. So I remember reading an article a few years ago that was written by some actress um, who had also had OCD. And what blew me away was her honesty. I felt like it was the very first time that I was learning about OCD in such a real, authentic way that I could totally relate to. Um, I found like a ton of comfort in this random Ugh. Team Vogue article. No, I love that. It's why people have to share. Well, and it made me realize that speaking about our experiences with mental health is just so crucially important. Absolutely. It is still so stigmatized, even though we all deal with it. And I, and I have noticed in the past few years, a lot of people are being open about, you know, anxiety and depression. And it's not just that. 
people don't just deal with anxiety and depression. They deal with bipolar. They deal with eating disorders. They have obsessive compulsive disorder. They have, there's so many other things that we could be talking about and sharing our experiences with. And I just think that that's so, so, so important. You know, I, I just think that you and I have a platform and I, I know we both want to use it to do good. So I just wanted to let you guys know this is going to sound cheesy. And a lot of people say this, but Resh and I, we're, we're going through it too. Absolutely. But we're here and we're waking up and we're putting one foot in front of the other. And this story today, although dark, is ultimately about hope and strength. And I think we could all use a little bit of that right now. So we're good. Call your therapist. Totally. Don't be afraid to have those conversations. I feel like that's how we should, we should either start or end the show every time. And call your therapist. Agreed. I just want to say I love you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And yeah, I believe that we got to take care of our mental health in the same ways we got to take care of our physical health. And the combination of the two is so important. It's just as important. Yeah. So let's start the show, shall we? Let's do it. Today's episode is about Susie Favor Hamilton. She is a world-class runner, three-time Olympic athlete, and left it all behind to become one of the most sought-after female escorts in Las Vegas. Wow. (laughs) That's not the sentence I thought was going to happen. Well, listen, I challenge you, I challenge all of us to not judge this story until the end, because there is way more than what meets the eye. And when I read this headline, oh my goodness, sure, I was like, whoa. But here we go. Let's go. Susie was born in Wisconsin in 1968 and started running at the age of nine. So from the jump, Susie was a solid runner, and she said running fit her perfectly because she had trouble sitting still and always had to be moving. Uh, So she was a runner from the get-go. Soon enough, as she was, you know, really getting into it, people started to recognize her talents. Love it. In the mid-80s, when Susie was in high school, she was the junior record holder at the 1500 meter and won three national junior titles. She was named one of the top 100 high school athletes of the century by Scholastic Sports Mag, and was even recently inducted into the U.S. National High School Sports Hall of Fame, because that's a thing, because high school isn't (laughs) hard enough. You have to shame all of us non-athletes. The century. That's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. And she's only in high school. So Susie was recruited by over 200 colleges. Can you even imagine? I had to beg one to take me. (laughs) That's a lot of colleges. That's a lot. She chose to stay close to home and go to the University of Wisconsin. All right. Go Badgers. There she won the Honda Cup. Babe Zaharias Award for the top female collegiate athlete in the country. She was named top female athlete in Big Ten Conference history. She won nine NCAA championships, 32 Big Ten championships. She won four USA outdoor track and field championships and three indoor track and field championships. Wow. Just like all of the medals. Wow. All of the trophies, all of them belong to her. So she was obviously the best female track and field athlete college sports had ever seen. Mm -hmm. Her senior year of college, she signed a six-figure deal with Reebok. Make that my 
funny, honey. Yes, girl. At Wisconsin, she met her college sweetheart, Mark, and they got married a week after graduating and moved to Malibu, where our girl started training for the motherfucking Olympics. (laughs) Because, duh. Of course. Her specialty was the 1500 meter. Mm. So over her career, Susie ran the 1500 meter in under four minutes, five different times and became the second fastest woman ever what? to run that event at three minutes, 57 seconds. And she was only a fraction of a second behind the leader, Mary Decker Slaney, who ended up holding sure. the record for 32 years. So if she was a millisecond faster, she would have been the fastest woman for 32 years to run a 1500 meter. So just to put that into context, that's like a mile. Yeah, it's like a smidge under a mile to run that in four minutes. I will say I once ran it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> in six minutes. And I was like, I'm what? a hero. <laughs> I don't know why this keeps on coming up into my brain, but I I, I keep on like hearing eight minute mile. That's, like I feel like that's an average for people. That's is an running average. A, eight to a ten. mile in eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So she was definitely one of the fastest women in the States, dare I say world. And she wanted to prove that theory. So off she goes to the Olympics. Love it. At the 1992 U.S. Olympic trials, Susie finished third. So she qualified for the Olympics, which were being held in Barcelona that year. Now, this all sounds hella impressive up until now, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're blown away by this woman. I'm sure so many people looked at Susie and saw the success and the trophies and the money and the world records and thought, wow, this girl is having herself a decade. Yes. A century. But she was also having a very, very tough time behind the scenes, which no one was seeing. Susie had been dealing with an eating disorder since she was very young. Mm. She became anorexic and bulimic because she thought that if she were thinner and lighter, she would run faster. Running and competing consumed every single part of her life. It got so bad at one point in college that she had suicidal thoughts that led to an attempt that she didn't tell anyone about at the time. Uh, it's so sad. It's The stuff is so sad, and then the keeping it a secret is like this added layer. It's so tough. I know. Like You can just imagine what she was just battling with. Ugh. So the pressure from not only her parents, but everyone in her hometown cheering her on, like that would feel so heavy Us. on one person Absolutely. to shoulder. But like a lot of women tend to do, she outwardly showed nothing. Mm-hmm. She definitely didn't want people to know that anything was wrong. Yeah. We're socialized like that. Yeah. To make matters worse, while Susie was in college, she found out that one of her, shall I say, dipshit coaches videotaped her breasts and showed it to a bunch of male athletes <gasps> illegal and fucked up and she went and got an eight thousand dollar breast reduction no what i know i know she had this obsession of looking like what she thought was a typical runner sure. which is thin as hell mm-hmm. two-dimensional yeah and it definitely doesn't help that a person in a position of authority who is supposed to be a source of support was betraying her trust and objectifying her this yeah. way. I'm sure that took a huge toll on her self-esteem. and Yeah, basically saying, oh, like, you know all that shit you're dealing with? I concur. Keep dealing with it. Yeah. I feel Ugh. like like my when I was going through all this stuff in college, my dad had just passed away and I moved into the city. And, like, 
my coach was the one person that was like a parental figure, if you will, that I saw the most. I saw them more than my mom. I saw them more than my family. And if that person betrays your trust, Jesus, I don't know where I would have been. At that very pivotal time in your life. Oh my God. Very formational moment. First time you're away from home. Rough. So as exciting as her success and achievements are, this girl is going through hell And here she is in 1992, getting ready to compete at the Olympics. Not the best mindset you want to be in when you're about to compete for a gold medal, right? Mm -hmm. She said all of these expectations turned her excitement and euphoria into the greatest anxiety. This is what she said about competing in her first Olympics. I lay in bed seeing myself fail again and again. I don't think I slept at all. I would rather have done anything but run an Olympic race. Ugh. Susie ended up finishing 11th and qualifying in Barcelona. She said her arms and legs felt like they were going through quicksand. She said she felt like she did not belong there. So she headed back home disappointed. She didn't do too much better at the next Olympics either in 1996 in Atlanta. She said, I won a lot, but tended to choke at the big moments. I didn't know why. And it ate at me. My body would just tighten up on me unexpectedly towards the end of a race. Like I was running with a piano on my back. Yeah, that, that would be hard to run with. She was experiencing intense anxiety anytime she competed. She finished fourth in her qualifying race in the 800, which eliminated her immediately in the first round. Her time at that race was two minutes and 47 milliseconds. Usually back at home when things are normal, she was running more like a minute, 58 seconds, 10 milliseconds, which would have won her the silver medal. Yeah. Out of all of this, that like hit me the hardest is that if she was just doing her thing and mental health wasn't an issue for her, she would have placed silver. And this was in her second Olympics. Who knows how she would have done the first. Right. So again, she found herself headed back home, disappointed, ready to start training again. No medals. No medals. You work so hard. Going back home. Probably everyone else is disappointed too. Yeah. But then in 1999, One year before the Summer Olympics in Sydney, tragedy struck Susie's family. Susie learned that her brother Dan had died by suicide. Dan had been living with bipolar disorder and their family had often been chaotic as a result, which I think obviously affected Susie. Sure. She said this about Dan's struggle. Our family never discussed it. To the outside, we look like the Brady Bunch. Looking back, there were signs something was not quite right with me either. I feel like this tragically seems to be a theme in Susie's life, like a picturesque exterior and like chaotic interior, which is like a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's true for a lot of people. It it is like if the picture looks too Instagram ready. Yeah. It almost makes me worry more than someone who's willing to just be like, that was hard. This thing doesn't work. You know, there's something about that that is always like a little bit of a red flag. So, Her brother Dan's illness was actually something that inspired her to run. She said, I saw my winning races have a positive effect on my family, namely my parents. I strangely grew to feel that my success could make this a happy family and Uh, take away any silent pain we were experiencing as a result of my brother's odd behavior. Right. So much pressure. Like, holy shit. Yeah. And no one's, I'm sure, talking about it. So... Yeah. Susie was quietly fighting a war within herself. After Dan's death, she kept training. Then came the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, a year after Dan passed away. Susie was running faster than she had 
ever ran before. She knew this was going to be her last Olympics, her last shot at stepping up onto that podium. It would all be worth it in her mind if she could just win that medal. Mm. So during the trials, she came in second. And after that, in a meet in Norway, she ran the 1500 meter in three minutes, 57 seconds, which established her as the favorite going into Sydney. So this was like a wow. big moment. Everyone was talking about sure. Susie. They were like, she's finally going to win. This is huge. She made it to the semifinals and came in second place. She was one one hundredth of a second slower than the girl who came in first. After that race, though, Susie was complaining about fatigue and saying she felt terrible during the race. Mm -hmm. So nevertheless, she was on to the final, the 1500 meter final. She has been doing this since she was nine years old. Okay, forget about the fatigue. Focus. You are at the Olympics. This is your moment. She was assigned to be the first runner. We all know that I don't know shit about running lingo, but apparently that's when you're on the inside of the track yeah. and like you need to take off wicked fast mm -hmm. in order to avoid getting boxed in. Yeah. So she was just thinking she wanted this to be over. Like literally before they even started, she's just like, I don't want to be here. But oh my God, it did not look like that because she absolutely took off. Okay. And going into the last lap, she was leading the pack. Ooh. A girl. So as the finish line grew closer, you could kind of see, I just watched the video before we started this, you could see her body wasn't flowing like the other women that were behind her. And she, she said that the anxiety started to come back and she felt like she was being hunted like an animal. Ugh. Her legs started feeling like they were in quicksand again and with 150 meters left, another runner passed her. They were like so close neck and neck and she just kind of like gave up that lead. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Susie falls, seeming like collapsed on the course and everyone ran by her. Oh but the race continues with Noria Marabonita running away with the gold. Susie eventually forced herself to get back up and complete the race. She's gotten back to her feet and now just jogging toward the finish line. She had to but when she crosses the finish line, she collapses again. They have to come and get her in a wheelchair, and she looks, like, incredibly weak. Like, she can't even hold her head up. Susie Favor Hamilton in some distress after falling in the stretch run. Oh, that's really heartbreaking. So... Later, she revealed that she actually fell on purpose that day because she couldn't bear the shame of coming in last in her final Olympics. And that dream of having an Olympic medal was gone. And instead of finishing the race like most runners would, I told myself, just fall. And I fell immediately. It just happened like that. And Susie Faber Hamilton has fallen down. Years later, confessing what looked like an accidental fall was staged in a moment of panic. I pretended I was injured. I remember thinking, again, you're the worst person in the world. Look at what you just did. Uh, so that was it. Because she literally like projected everything, all the agita of her life onto this singular moment. Ugh. Even, yeah, I mean, uh. she, she she did that with running, period. But in particular, this moment, her last Olympics, if she could, her brother had just passed away, if she could bring home a medal to her parents, everything would be okay. That's that's like that's kind like of the like the story message she, she was, was telling, telling herself. herself. Yeah. Ugh. 
So she tried to come back after that and qualify for the 2004 Olympics, but ended up pulling her hamstring. She retired from running the following year in 2005 at the age of 37. And she had a beautiful baby girl with her husband, Mark. You would think, Rechna, that this is the end of our story, but it's actually the beginning. And I will tell you why after the break. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Miller. Miller High Life is an unpretentious quality beer with refreshing champagne-like tiny bubbles in an iconic glass bottle. We stand. We stand this beer. Love. Celebrate the wins of every day with Miller High Life. Big or small, there are moments within each day we're celebrating. Today I put on pants, for oh, instance. Oh, good yes. for you. Thank you. This summer, Miller High Life will raise a can to celebrate summer's simple moments with limited edition champagne cans. That's fun. That's very fun. Miller High Life has been faithfully brewed the same way since its start on New Year's Eve in 1903. <laughs> An iconic brand you can be proud to hold as every as our listeners must know by now, Rachel and I love anything that's like older. The older, the better. <laughs> but also, what are you guys? I feel kind of sad that they were like in their warehouse on New Year's Eve just <laughs> making beer. Or and not- is celebrating New Year's Eve a bummer? I don't ever look forward to it, and what a relief. You don't have to, like, think about what you're going to do for New Year's Eve. Miller High Life brings pride to the simple things in life. Celebrate summer's special simple moments. Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, a quality beer within everyone's reach. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Function of Beauty. Do you dread washing and styling your hair? It's not you. It's the products you're using. Try something new with Function of Beauty. I just got these a couple of weeks ago. I have been using them nonstop. As I've claimed on this podcast before, I have a sensitive scalp. (laughs) Fun fact about me. And I really like this shampoo because it's nice and soothing. Takes it easy. Takes it easy. It's great. My hair smells great, which I love. My name's on the bottle, which is just Your a little... name's on the bottle? Did you put yeah. Rechna on the bottle? I put my nickname. I did? Is that lame? <laughs> I put my nickname, which is... Some people at work call me... What's your nickname? Ray Cheesy. So it says... Ray Cheesy. <laughs> this bottle belongs to Ray Cheesy. People call me Chna. Chna. I like it. Function of Beauty is the internet's top-rated customized hair care brand with over 30,000 five-star customer reviews and counting. I don't buy anything that has under 30,000 five-star re- reviews. I don't know about you. <laughs> Same. Whether your hair is curly or straight, natural or processed, Function of Beauty individually formulates every bottle based on your unique hair type style preferences, and hair goals. To begin the short four-question quiz and to save 20% on your first purchase, go to functionofbeauty.com shame. You tell them all about your hair and even customize your formula with fragrance and color, or you can go dye and fragrance-free. The products are so personalized, your name is even printed on the bottle. Plus, Function of Beauty is vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates, parabens, phthalates, mineral oils, or any other harmful ingredients. To get started right now, go to functionofbeauty.com shame to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. Don't spend another minute in hair misery. Go to functionofbeauty.com shame and let them know we sent you. That's functionofbeauty.com shame. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Reshna, growing up, I was obsessed with cereal. <laughs> That's all I would eat. 
all the time. What were your faves? Oh, Count Chocula, Cookie Crisp. Honestly, Canada didn't even have like good cereal. My nan used to bring all the good sugary stuff back from Florida. Classic. It all starts in Florida. I loved Fruity Pebbles, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Those were my two go-tos. Oh, and Lucky Charms. I ate so many Lucky Lucky Charms Charms that I got enough of those UPC symbols to get a free night shirt. (laughs) Did it glow in the dark? (laughs) So growing up, you know, cereal is one of the best parts of being a kid because you don't care what you are putting into your body. But as you get older, you realize that it is absolutely full of sugar and junk that you probably shouldn't be eating all the time. Yeah. Yep. Magic spoon comes in. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They've got four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. If you're feeling wild, mix them all together. It tastes amazing. It sounds too good to be true, but it's not. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Go to magicspoon.com slash haul to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code haul at checkout to get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. I find it hilarious that anyone would buy cereal and be like, no, I didn't like it. So if I could have my... There was part of me... That was like, I want to do it just to, and then I was like, this is so good. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm psyched about this. That's magicspoon.com slash haul and use the code haul for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's a cliffhanger. That was... If I've ever seen one. A wild cliffhanger. It gets more a wild girl. Okay, so we're back. Susie is retired after an incredible yet incredibly difficult career as a professional runner. She gave birth to her daughter, Kylie, the year she retired and really struggled with postpartum depression. Mm. So she went from running and having issues with that to having a, a baby. And then it's like just it just carries right over. So I had postpartum with my first. Oh, wow. And something to share because I think... Please. It's important. And I will say, I, like you said, these things we talk about get described in singular ways, but the truth is they can look all sorts of ways. So my postpartum Mm -hmm. manifested, like I was still very high functioning within it. And when I had my first, also my dad was dying of cancer. So I was like, oh, I'm just sad (laughs) because my dad's dying, which is fair. Mm -hmm. The only person I had anything for was the baby. And beyond that, I, I just like truly didn't feel like myself for, I would say, a year. And it wasn't until I had my second and I didn't have postpartum that I realized just how intense it was. Anyway, therapy like changed my life. Um, okay. Well, Susie, so Susie's is, is going through it. She's got postpartum. It feels like this woman cannot catch a break. Sure. 
The next few years after retiring were arguably worse than when she was competing. She became a real estate agent, but her depression got so bad that in 2007, she almost drove herself off the road into a tree. That's when she finally decided to get help. In 2011, after four years of therapy and medication, she was finally starting to feel better. So she decided to get off medication and within a month, her depression returned. Mm. Her and her doctor decided to try something else. And here's where things take a turn. What the doctors didn't know when they originally medicated her, like Susie's brother, Dan, she also suffered from bipolar disorder Uh. and certain medications. I didn't even know this. Certain medications when taken with bipolar disorder can have unintended side effects. Yes. This is why specificity in diagnoses are so important. Correct. So all of a sudden, Susie was feeling energetic. It is because if you treat depression, but someone's bipolar, they hit a manic episode. Yep. Yep. So she had more energy than she had had in years. Her entire life, I'll say, this medication (laughs) she was on drove Susie into a manic state, which you just mentioned. But Susie was having herself a time. She said she had never felt better. For her 20th wedding anniversary, Susie and her husband, Mark, wanted to switch things up and celebrate in Las Vegas, Mm. which Reshna loves, by the way. (laughs) Which I'll never get to go to again. No no one's ever going to Las Vegas. Susie came up with a couple of wild ideas on how she wanted to celebrate. First, she wanted to go skydiving. And then she had another idea, which is a hard left turn from skydiving. Susie brought up the idea of hiring an escort and having a threesome. A girl. This is normal behavior for some couples. We're not judging. Um, But this wasn't normal behavior for Susie. This wasn't in her center. This wasn't in her wheelhouse. Okay. Everyone's got a sexual wheelhouse. This was not in hers. Up until now, threesomes hadn't been a part of the mix. No. So she was all of a sudden drawn to risky and risque behaviors, Mm. a very common symptom of bipolar disorder. So they followed through with the plan. I'm sure her husband was like, okay. (laughs) Okay, I'm down. They went skydiving and it was wild. And she had this insane rush of endorphins. They got back to their hotel at 6 p.m. And by 7 p.m. there was a knock at the door and it was their escort, Pearl. Pearl. That's a great name. It is a really, it's like, it's like if I'm going to hire Pearl, I know she's classy. I know she's like a classic beauty. I love it. She's like, like kind of like a cool broad. (laughs) Yes. Love a Pearl. They had themselves a time. Susie was completely at ease during this experience and said it was the first time she had felt connected to her husband in a long time. She also felt oddly connected to the escort herself, Pearl. And she was asking herself, why am I not doing this? Hmm. So after this encounter, Susie was drawn to this lifestyle. How do you then make the jump to, I will get paid for sex? That was that light bulb moment in my head. Wow, well, why shouldn't I get paid for sex? She returned to Vegas three or four times, and Mark was aware, but urged her to be discreet in whatever it was she was getting into. Gotcha. Seemed like a maybe like, you know, I'm not going to ask, don't, don't tell, just like, be careful. He's he's probably also like, I see you're happy. I know you haven't been. I'm trying to yep. like support yep. that. 
Later that same year, the Rock and Roll Marathon asked her to take part in its events in Las Vegas on December 3rd and 4th of 2011. Okay. They flew both Mark and Susie out for the event. And while there, Susie arranged to meet with a contact at the high-end escort screening service that had set up their threesome with Miss Pearl. Mm -hmm. From then on, Susie started a new chapter of her life. Her name was Kelly Lundy, and she was a high-end escort. I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like she could have come up with a sexier last name than Lundy. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I'm here for all of this. Like, I'm on board. Mad respect to just, like, knowing yep. what you want, yep. even if it's yep. outside yep. some weird, you know, puritanical societal norms. But that name sucks. <laughs> Hi, I'm <laughs> Kelly Lundy. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so she was obviously trying to keep this new life a secret from the world. Only Mark knew. And just last decade, she was a world-class Olympian. Like, oh my goodness, sure. very different night and day. And she's like raising a young child and a real estate agent. Yeah, she's a busy woman. Yeah. But even with the need for secrecy, Susie jumped into her new life as Kelly just a few hours before she was due to run the first race, aptly called the Stiletto Dash in the Rock and Roll Marathon. She got her first client. She scrambled to her hotel room to get ready, kissed her husband goodbye, and went to have sex with a stranger for money. Hours later, she was running a race, the Susie we all knew. Listen to this. She was earning $600 an hour. Hello. Wow, wow. At one point, Susie was the number two high-priced Las Vegas escort on a website called The Erotic Review. Again, I'm like, girl, you're like the number two high-priced escort on The Exotic Review, and your name is Kelly Lundy? Come on. You could easily be number one, just be with best. a simple name change. <laughs> be better. In the words of Melania. Susie was obsessed with the ranking on this website, of course, just like she was obsessed with being number one on the track sheet, just... Needed to be number one in everything. Sure. That makes sense. Over the next six months, she was living a double life and it was seemingly making her happy. Her husband, knowing what she's been through, didn't want to stand in the way of that. Like you said, this was her life now. She was constantly flying back and forth from Vegas. Mark, her husband, actually bought her a condo in Las Vegas so she wouldn't spend so much on hotel rooms. Okay. <laughs> For Susie, it was all going pretty smoothly until one day she had a little slip up. She was with one of her clients, Bob. Real name, we'll never know. Mm. She slipped and said her name was Susie. She kind of like blew past it after and hoped he didn't catch it, but he did. And the next time he saw Susie, he knew exactly who she uh. was. Susie Favor Hamilton, three-time Olympic athlete. Yikes. So she was busted, or so she thought. Bob told Susie her secret was safe with him. I mean, it, I would imagine it's Bob's secret, too. <laughs> like, Your secret's safe with me. Good. I'm also obviously not telling my wife I'm doing this. Also, so. my name is not Bob. <laughs> yeah. But something happened to Susie. She was just like obsessed with this adrenaline rush that the discovery of her identity had prompted. Oh. So she actually started to out herself. Wow. She would tell her clients who she really was to see their reactions. And she would she was just convinced that no one would spill her secret. That was just like a part of the fun. This is what she said. For me, with the sex, I needed to make it riskier and more dangerous, even though I didn't see it as dangerous. So she was just always like pushing herself to that edge. Right. 
As she started telling more and more of her clients who she was, the risk of her secret coming out grew, obviously. After 10 months of being an escort, in December of 2012, the website The Smoking Gun ran a story providing evidence that Kelly was Susie Favor Hamilton. Mm -hmm. The next month after that, Susie was finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh. This was an incredibly difficult time for Susie because, and bear in mind, the mania may be factoring in here, but she was the happiest she had ever been. She says that if she hadn't been exposed, she would have never stopped escorting. It is. It's hard here because I think it's like there's the separateness of her maybe liking this job or this lifestyle and then the sort of mania with which she was pursuing things within it. You know what I mean? It's like so hard to separate the mental illness from what was like maybe just validly a thing she liked. It's an interesting line to, and I want to be careful because I, there's nothing wrong with sex work. There's no judgment. There's no judgment here at all. So like, I think that the difference here is that Susie was an Olympic athlete before and she like was a real estate agent and not living anywhere close to Las Vegas. Like it didn't seem like that was on her radar at all. And it was like this change in medication that ultimately drove her to doing these things. Susie was dropped from many of her sponsorships, including deals she had with Disney and Rock and Roll Race Series. Her double life was over. Hmm. This moment in time really made Susie focus on her mental health. She and her husband, Mark, split up for five months while Susie recovered. She obviously got off the drugs that put her in this state. Manic state. Her husband recovered, too. I think he was like kind of silently going through it with their daughter. I mean, right. he didn't know how to handle the situation. How would you? No, this he was, is, there's he not was like scared. a protocol for this story. <laughs> so she finally found the right medication to quiet her mania and nowadays is doing much better. Yeah. She's back together with her husband, hangs out with her daughter. She teaches yoga, dabbles in abstract art and speaks mm. to groups about mental illness eating disorders, and the stresses young athletes face. Good for her. This is what she said when she was like reflecting upon her life. For me, running the Olympics, it was so stressful. I think it was part of my bipolar and that the anxiety that I've had my entire life was just so much to deal with. But when I was an escort, it came natural. It was so easy. It was so fun. And the high from my mania was incredible. The high felt better than running races and winning. So I know as bad as that sounds... At the time, because of the bipolar, because of the antidepressants I was taking, the hypersexuality that I was experiencing, it was above and beyond the biggest high. Right. So we're coming to the end of this. Can I just say through all of this, through reading and researching and writing this, this woman, she went from being a talented runner at nine went through two eating disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, multiple suicide attempts, and somehow found her way out of all of it to come out on the other side and talk about it. The bravery. She openly talks about it now. She got a gold medal in living a life. She got a gold medal. Yes, well said. She talks to people about her mental health. I just think it's incredible. And if this isn't a story about hope, I do not know what is. I agree. I also, it's so interesting because it feels like so much of the story is about not talking about stuff. So clearly her brother struggled with things. And I don't want to speak for her family, but it sounds like they sort of, despite his struggles, had such a vested interest in the external picture of their family, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure meant internally they weren't like being open about it. And I think the theme of this episode is like, gotta talk about stuff. 
you gotta talk about stuff yeah. and i know it's so hard and like i know it's uncomfortable and they're yeah. uncomfortable conversations but like reading that article for example helped me so much it's just normalizing a thing that it turns out a lot of people struggle with in one way or another and like naming things like i remember that so much of what was powerful for me about therapy and is is that it mm-hmm. gives me language for stuff that can have so much shame around it, but doesn't have to. And the second that you have language av- around it that feels like normalizing or validating, you're like, oh, there's no shame here. It's just my humanness mm-hmm. existing in the world and figuring it out. And like, yeah, my my brain's just wired this way. Th- these correct. are the things, and you know, Retina's brain is wired that way. That's and like, it. we're all different. Totally. Well, the story was amazing. Wasn't it absolutely incredible? I was blown away. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so moved at all that she went through, you know? And like went through a lot of it by herself. By herself. She went through all of it by herself, really. Yeah. My biggest sort of takeaway in terms of the only thing I would like sort of ask her to question is like the name that she chose. (laughs) I just... Just like Lundy, really? I feel like she looks back and that's likely her greatest regret about it. That's the thing that keeps her up at night, yeah. Thank you, Rachel. This was an awesome, interesting, incredible story about an incredible lady. Thanks for listening, pal. And thank you for being so open about your mental health. And um, we hope that this made you guys feel a little bit more comfortable in the situation that we're all dealing with, which is a little tough, a little tough on the mental health right now. Yeah. Bringing up stuff for all of us. Yeah. I love you, Rachel. Thanks for sharing, too. I love you, pal. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hall of Shame is a product of Crooked Media. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Allison Falzetta. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Stephen Hoffman. Engineering and sound design by Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa. Thank you to Sydney Rapp and Brian Semmel for production support every week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.